why are estate attorneys the most determined? Because where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> hey, shh. Welcome back, everyone, to Not Another Needless Sequel, where we discuss films and propose unnecessary prequels, sequels, reboots, and remakes. I'm your host, Kane, and today I have with me my wife, Kelsey. Yes, Your Honor. Should I stand? Kelsey will be my co-host as we discuss Law Abiding Citizen, an action movie from 2009. What did you rate it? 4.9 out of 5, solely for the beginning scene being so horrifying. So I have my problems with this movie, but I rated it a 5 out of 5. So as a short summary of this movie, our main character, or one of, I, I guess, one of the main characters, Clyde Shelton's family, is brutally attacked, and he is seeking justice through the criminal justice system. Um, thanks to his lawyer, Nick Rice, he does not receive the justice that he feels is deserved, and ultimately he takes a decade to plan and get his revenge and take it all out on the system. So when the movie starts, of course, it opens with him at home with his family, his wife and daughter, and the attack happens. I did think, like, why did they specifically attack his family? And I understand when they busted in there, Ames is grabbing candlesticks, just all this stuff that they have right there in the front room that I guess is worth something. So you could say they have a nice house, so they probably own something. But the thing is, Darby says to him, you can't fight fate, which seems like it's personal. It seems like he knows him or he did something that caused this to happen, which I don't think they thought that deeply about it, but it's just such a personal attack when it's supposed to just be a robbery yeah why was everybody home if you're gonna rob a house why are you doing why'd you knock on the door with yeah. everyone home no i think it i think that it i don't know maybe it was personal in some way because like 10 years later which you get to this part in the movie but 10 years later he's out of jail and not killing and doing horrific things to people that we know of and i mean they're just absolute animals about it i mean you know they didn't have to even stab clyde they had him duct taped over the mouth zip tied hands and they hit him in the face with a bat most likely he was not going to be able to get up and defend himself or his home or anything like that they stabbed him for basically no reason they assault the wife it's terrible and just all of this is happening and i understand that ames is saying like let's go which i guess i'll give him that they hadn't even really robbed much of the house they were just in that front room got like four things and ames is like all right let's go let's get out of here that doesn't really make sense you would think they would case the whole house know exactly what they're gonna take and hit every room well he said that after darby stabbed the first guy yeah so it almost seems like ames wants to get him out of there because he sees how violent he's getting but at the same time he did nothing to stop it besides say let's get out of here and yeah maybe darby would have killed him but maybe you should kill him there's sort of a line where you're like this was supposed to be a robbery and it's too much either way ames and darby that it's just a horrible attack i mean it's quite an opening to the movie it's very emotional and really sets the stage for everything. Next, you see his lawyer, Nick, and you kind of get an intro to the kind of lawyer he is, how much he cares about his reputation, the personality he has. He's very much the stereotypical hotshot lawyer. He's mentioning how he dropped a case because it would have messed with his conviction rate, which is at 96%. Yeah, I put that um, he seems super arrogant and almost too good to do certain cases or certain things. And the way that he talks about Clyde's, in his family's case specifically, is disgusting. I mean, even when he's walking with, uh, I'm not sure who exactly it was, but he's talking about the case that he dropped. They mentioned it was a murder. And they're very casually talking about it, laughing about his conviction rate. And I, I just think, like, I know it didn't happen to you, but you got to have some kind of sympathy for these people. And it seems that that's just completely absent. Him talking about the Darby case and how they got Darby to plead down. Like, Darby is literally the one that did everything. Like, sure, Ames was there. But I don't think that he deserves death row. He probably definitely should have got a less severe sentence. But yes, yeah. his bedside manner when he's talking to Clyde and telling him about this deal, 
absolute garbage. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any sympathy for him. He doesn't understand how Clyde is not just getting it, that this is supposedly the best case scenario. And he even raises his voice at him. You should really be comforting this man and trying to help him understand. He raised his voice and said, it's not what you know, Clyde. It's what you can prove in court. Yeah, it's just, it's no good. Nick is not my favorite character. I mean, I'm very conflicted with the characters in this movie, and we'll talk more as we go through, but I'm not sure that there's a hero of this movie, necessarily. It's just a terrible situation and a terrible system. Um, So after Nick tells Clyde about the deal, we cut to the testimony where Darby is in court actually telling them what happened, and they're... Um, you know, signing his deal. And they reference this later on in the movie where Nick is answering his phone during that court case. But it just, again, shows to me, like, how little the content of this case means to him. Like, how serious this stuff is that's going on and that Darby is making this plea deal and he's answering his phone. I mean, what could have been on the other end of that line? Like, you're a lawyer and people know that you cannot answer the phone. So they do kind of show that he's somewhat conflicted with his situation. I mean, especially during Darby's testimony, you know, he's disgusted as Darby speaks to him. And then outside of the court, when Darby is shaking his hand, he says, get away from me. And even when he was speaking to Jonas, Jonas says something, you know, like, well, you can't let, you know, these decisions weigh on you or basically something to that effect. So, I mean, I guess they tried to show that he was a bit conflicted, but ultimately his reputation was more important to him. Yeah, and going back to when Darby and him shake hands, obviously Clyde was so far away he couldn't hear what was said, but I believe in that moment he decided he'd be taking matters into his own hands, and that's where the plotting began. Yeah, they do show later on that he has the newspaper photo of that handshake. If he had never done that handshake and felt bad about it, I don't know if Clyde would have ever decided to do what he did. It's possible. So Nick goes home, and you see, you get an introduction to his wife. Uh, you see that she's pregnant. They do a 10-year time jump. He's got a 10-year-old daughter, and, you know, he's still in the same field. I I didn't really catch what everyone's position was. Does seem he moved up. He's not quite DA yet at that point. Could be the ADA. Yes. Well, in the fast forward 10 years when uh, Nick is talking to like his wife and the daughter has the cello recital and all of that, in that moment I was like, I, that's the situation that like, like just as a person, I never want to be in. I never want to seem too busy to spend time with my family. And I know he's like, you know, I can't do it today, blah, blah, blah. In his defense, what was keeping him away was it was the day of Ames's death sentence. But it still goes to show that work is still the most important thing to him. Yeah, absolutely. And his daughter is talking to them about it and saying, you know, you're there to lock up bad guys to keep us safe. Like, it sounds rehearsed. Like, she's heard this a million times. This yeah. is not the first time that he has missed something of hers in order to go to work but yes he goes to Ames's execution and Ames you know he's pleading I guess he's not pleading it's his final words he's accepting that he's gonna die but he does mention you know wrong man's dying here today he shouldn't have been there I mean you still get the sense that Ames did feel bad which I thought he felt bad in the beginning but still he didn't really do anything to stop it so I'm not sure I shed a lot of tears over it I wondered when the chemicals go through and you see later that the chemicals have been altered to make him have a painful death. What kind of chemical is that that makes him bleed through his skin? Like his shirt started getting all covered in blood. It was the like the curse that Harry Potter played on. (laughs) It was the Draco. Sectumsempra. Sectumsempra. He started bleeding from his IVs. That's what this guy was doing. If you saw him oozing from all of his IV sites. Well, it was something, I mean, it's just his shirt on his chest started getting bloody. I don't know exactly what he had going on under there, but that always got me is like, wow, that, I mean, it's a show, I guess, of how brutal his death was. They start looking into what happened to Ames. They believe that it's Darby. And so they go to Darby's, which I wondered, why is Nick involved with the detectives asking about the execution stuff? The detectives are questioning the doctors, the warden. I'm not sure exactly who was involved there. Right, the prison. Well, you know what? I don't know because um, like when doctors take the Hippocratic Oath, 
Like, you can't be a... You can't be the one doing that? You can't be the one administering the drugs during a death sentence at a prison. So mm. I don't know who... What exactly position that is. Yeah, because I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's, like, illegal. Regardless, the detectives are questioning them. That makes sense. But Nick's all up in there. And I didn't understand, like, who are you, you know? He's, you... A, he's a detective this whole movie, which is something, like, I find to be funny because lawyers aren't really supposed to mm-hmm. And he's super that. involved. And, like, in other shows, like, Law & Order, you know, I like me some Law & Order SVU, so... <laughs> But the lawyers are never involved. They're just like, get me this and we'll be fine. Get me that and we'll be fine. And what's funny is my sequel that I wrote, I was writing the sequel and I was like, why am I writing it? Like for them being like detectives as well. But I sure did. So we'll get to that later. It's just, (laughs) it's just funny. It's just in this universe, I guess. So Nick and the detectives head to Darby and you cut to Darby. He's obviously not doing what he's supposed to. He's snorting a line He's got uh, seemingly a hooker on the ground and he gets the call telling him, you know, the cops are coming, which it made me laugh that he says South Side and he looks through the wrong window and then he says it again on the phone. He's like South South Side and he looks through the other window. What made me laugh about that is I imagine there wasn't anybody on the phone. The actor looked through the wrong window and then they were like, just keep it and just have him say the line again he runs out onto the roof to try and escape the cops immediately starts shooting at the cops why are you not trying to sneak away why are you being loud you just fired six bullets at this cop car and also what did you plan to accomplish there was multiple cop cars you shot at one the worst thing that could have happened is you would have killed whoever was in that car and just added to your sentence. He gets away from the cops because Clyde is guiding him through everything. Clyde tricks him into believing that he has the upper hand on a cop that is tased and knocked out. Meanwhile, it's really Clyde Clyde, the entire time. Which you can tell that. Like when he sets up, you're like, oh, like the the viewers like, "Uh oh, like, you know, what's going to happen. Like that's something that I made a note of like I said ah Clyde is a man with a plan when I first saw it I did not realize that it was Clyde which I was probably too young to see this pretty sure I saw this when it came out in 2009 yeah I mean I'm I'm not too young but you know it's pretty violent I guess teenagers yeah it was probably about the time but I don't know I didn't pay attention to little details like that I I didn't either I haven't seen this movie in a long time but I used to watch this movie all the time it is like when it first came out and so I know that it's kind of weird to say like I watch this movie all the time well you don't want to think about it like I didn't you didn't watch it for the violence necessarily you know we had fancy tv at my house so anytime it was on like I would just play it it could be in the middle of the movie or whatever but I mean Part of that goes with what your family's watching too. So he tricks him. Turns out Darby is holding a gun that when he tries to fire it at Clyde, as Clyde does the reveal, Mm -hmm. it injects him with the neurotoxin. He can't move. He can feel everything. Uh, That's crazy. What a terrifying like scene to see immediately. You know, Clyde is not messing around and he takes him, throws him in the car and brings him to his warehouse where he, uh, I mean, it's... It's quite a scene. It's well-deserved. I I can't say it's not deserved, but it is insane the way that he does all this. I mean, they portray it as he's thought of everything, right? He's given him the adrenaline so you're not going to fall asleep. I'll cut off your eyelids so you can't close your eyes. I'm going to put this mirror so you have to see everything. It's just anything that he could think of that might stop him from experiencing the full amount of pain that he wanted to inflict. It's pretty brutal. Can't say that it's not deserved after what he did, but he doesn't get away with it. They do figure out that it was him, which makes sense, I guess. There wasn't many people left in the case that would be involved. And actually, he does record it. And I did want to say when he presses the camera and turns it on, he says that was the truth. He was finishing up a sentence, but he spoke. And I thought, like, you're giving it away. I mean, granted, he was going to give it away anyway. Mm -hmm. But the mask almost didn't matter. Well, I guess it mattered for his plan, but still, they could have heard his voice. I guess he could have edited it. I don't know. When they go after Clyde, he was at home. He's working on something. Like, at first, I thought it was like a small satellite. But then, as I looked at it this last time, it looks like a miniature set of wings. Like, Mm -hmm. like a, 
Leonardo da Vinci style like wings that he would have designed. I kind of wondered like, was that part of his plan? Was that gonna come up later on? Had the movie not ended the way it did, was he yeah. gonna fly away from somewhere? Maybe. Because you also see it during that scene, there's a drone that looks like the drone that he uses later in the cemetery. It looks smaller to me, so I'm not sure if it was a model or if it was just something else, but it seems like he's planning his final steps there as he's waiting for the cops. And then the cops show up, he gets butt-ass naked. I, I assume. Why. Well, I assume it's so there's no chance that they think he's got a weapon, he's going for something. You are completely vulnerable so you don't die because if he had died right there, it would have ruined his entire plan. So he gets butt-ass naked. And what I saw from that is what he did the last 10 years is get fucking jacked. That's what I thought too. I was like, I think he got naked to show Nick, this is what you did, pal. This is what you did. He spent 10 years doing sit-ups is what I think. Yeah, That's what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. Like He did not look like that 10 years ago. No, which ultimately later on, you know, he's going to murder his cellmate. And I'm like, is that why? Did, you didn't know who your cellmate was going to be? What if it was a really big guy? You had to be ready? I don't know. He had to get the T-bone. Well, we'll get to that part. So they take in Clyde and Nick goes in there to interview Clyde. You know, he basically tells him, I'm not sad about this, but here it is. We got to do this. And he's telling him all this stuff about the murders, except he's not really saying that he did it. He's giving like this fake confession. He deserved to die. They both deserved yeah, to die. Yeah, saying all this stuff. And Nick at some point is like, you know, we know you did it. And Clyde, like you can see, he's been waiting 10 years to say it back to him. It's like, it's not what you know. It's what you can prove in court. And like his voice got louder and everything. Like he was waiting. He's just been holding on to that little nugget to give to him. And he's right. He's right. And so they end up making a deal where Clyde asks for a therapeutic bed for his jail cell. And the thing is, is a lot of the later deals that he makes are ultimately to serve his plan. The bed was just, I think, to show how ridiculous the system is. He didn't need the bed for any reason other than to be like, look what happens i'm a murderer and now you have to get me a nice bed mm -hmm. i mean that's you know kind of his whole point and during the interview initial interview with clyde the tape of the murder of darby gets to nick's Dar. house first of all if i was a kid and i guess some kind of kid that was young enough to not want to watch horror movies and it scared me if i turned it on i started seeing that i'm not gonna sit there keep watching and scream like she did i'm gonna get up and get out of the room also, did Nick's wife watch it? Because she calls Nick and says, the things on this video, I've never seen anything like it. Did you sit down and watch the she entire tape? Have. Why would you? I would have immediately like shut it off and been like, hey, there's this crazy ass tape <laughs> on top of all that. You know, they tell her like, oh, it was a horror movie. And I thought like, oh, she's gonna be traumatized. But at the same time, I mean, it just looks like a horror movie. I would've just thought it was a horror movie if I was not involved. Same thing with Nick's wife. I just thought it was a horror movie, which maybe I don't know. Maybe if you watch something like that, you can assume that it's, or you would think it's real because of something that you see happen. Anyway, Nick goes back to Clyde. They are going to get the confession. Um, they're in the sentencing trial and Nick is trying to tell the judge, we don't think that Clyde should get bail. Um, you know, Clyde pulls out a bunch of legal precedents and says, you know, I'm not a flight risk. I don't think I should be put in prison. Funnily enough, Gerard Butler apparently was almost a lawyer. Like he was on the Drew Barrymore show and he said that he was one week away from becoming a lawyer. Like he had been working with or within a law office of some sort and he was that close and he just didn't want to do it. He was just like, I just don't like it. I thought that was crazy. That is crazy. Like, did he go to law school then? Yeah, presumably. Yeah, that's, I mean, I didn't understand the full gist of where his position was, but it sounded to me like he had already been through law school and he was doing some kind of like almost internship to with take this the law bar office. Or I feel like I heard that many years ago, but you know, old boy ain't been in as many movies. Like he was huge 10 years ago and kind of slowed down. Yeah. So the judge does not let him out on bail based on what he says. I mean, he got... He tore them to complete shreds. And the worst part is, was at the end, he added that she likely prefers anal. 
Yeah, and like, I mean, just like why it just became personal. Yeah, like, like he was <laughs> dropping all this knowledge. He was yeah. like, "This is this," and you know, "This is the problem with the system." And he was like, "Also, I bet you like it in the ass." Like, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Like it was just so <laughs> out of you left field. Do that? Like, I guess because she was the judge on his case. Yep, yeah, she was. So he felt, you know, but he he lost his cool there. Which, if you don't remember, you'll remember here in a minute. Clyde gives his confession, and then he also lets them know that he has taken Bill Reynolds and he'd like to make another deal. Mm -hmm. So his next deal is he would like his meal. Um, I believe he says exactly one o'clock from a place called Del Frisco's. Mm -hmm. Um, Del Frisco's is a real restaurant that the director, Felix Gary Gray, often dined at like while they were filming. Mm -hmm. They also had the after party there. So I thought it was interesting. It wasn't just made up. Like it was an actual place they liked. I mean, I can't speak for if that food was real uh, or anything like that. The way they'd be smacking that food, though, it better have been real because, boy, was I, like, fisty cuffs ready. <laughs> so when they bring him his food, they are too late because everybody but Nick basically does not care about the time. They're like, fuck him, let him wait. Uh, you know, he doesn't know the time, and it turns out, Reynolds was hooked up to a system that was providing him oxygen ready to shut off at 1.15. Took them about 15 minutes to get there. So presumably he would have been alive had his meal been delivered at exactly one. Um, yeah, even... so really it's the it's the warden's fault because it was the warden. He was like, he doesn't run this place, I do. Yeah, they just, you know, they didn't like his attitude. I get it. You know, the guy is a murderer and he's fucking with all of you and there's really nothing you can do everybody's being made to feel stupid around him yeah. so he gets his uh meal and it's um you know a t-bone some kind of lobster macaroni and asparagus they give him a spork he asked for silverware and i almost wondered ultimately you know he's gonna kill his cellmate i wondered if they had given him silverware was that his plan was this t-bone like the backup plan i guess he maybe knew they wouldn't give him silverware the only thing I have to say about that murder is, buddy, everybody be seeing that from all the cells. You heard them all screaming. They were all mad at him. But had he not been put in solitary, he'd be running that bitch. They would have probably bowed down to him. Uh, that T-bone kill, as brutal as it is, there's a longer version of that scene that's apparently more brutal that they had to cut out because it got an NC-17 rating. That's, you know, the one that's higher than R. Not a lot of movies get that rating. I didn't know that. It was There's a rating higher than R? I thought it was X. No, it's NC-17. That's the highest rating in the Motion Picture Association. And like I said, it doesn't go to a lot of movies, but that scene caused that. And so they had to like cut it down, which is crazy to me because it is already such a brutal scene. There's blood everywhere. I mean, the sounds, the blood, the how fast he's doing it, like it's crazy. And when he is doing it, as you mentioned, you know, the people across the hall are yelling about it and if you listen to them they're saying things like finish him take his head off and i was thinking like oh man you know he killed this cellmate this guy was an innocent but as i'm hearing the people across the hall yell things like that i'm like this is a hall of bad dudes these yeah. are really bad people so i'm not sure this guy that was his cellmate was a good guy no Probably not. So after he murders his cellmate, he is sent to solitaire, which is what he wanted the whole time. That's why he got away with it. And Sarah tells Nick that Clyde murdered his cellmate and was being moved into solitary. Yes. And I feel like in that moment, Nick, like, in the back of his mind, thinks he may have done it on purpose, but doesn't know why. Yeah. I mean, they're starting to put together how smart he is because that's when they meet with this spy that apparently knew Clyde, worked with him. He mentions, you know, Clyde's not just some spy. He's a think tank guy. He came up with a way to kill people without being in the room. They said, like, they were trying to kill somebody for a long time and they couldn't do it. And he designed a tie, like a necktie that a person would wear with a suit that strangled the person that they were trying to kill by itself mm -hmm. which sounds insane doesn't sound like something someone could really do but that 
goes to show you how smart he is, which you think if he's this big of a threat that this spy is saying, you'd think this would become like a matter of national security. But at this point, the mayor is not even involved yet. And when they're talking to the spy, he says, the only thing you can do is walk into his cell and put a bull in his head. And when he says that, there's like a random person walking by and the random person looks back at him like, yeah, they just heard you say that. <laughs> like, you should probably shut up. You're a terrible spy. Be quiet. Yeah. What are you doing? So after they meet with the spy, Nick goes to meet with the judge. This is where the judge, you know, they call back to how Nick always answered his phone in court and she answers her phone as they're asking to reduce some of Clyde's freedoms. The phone blows her brains out. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how he got that phone to do that. And at the same time, if I was in that room, I'm not sure I would have thought it was the phone. I would have thought somebody shot through the building. That's a crazy scene. Yeah. I definitely wasn't expecting it the first time I saw it. Absolutely not. So Nick goes to question Clyde again, you know, he starts off something like you're killing judges now. And at this point, everyone around Nick is questioning it. I believe Sarah's questioning it. Jonas is questioning it. They're like, you know, did we do the right thing? Did we cause this? Is this our fault? And Nick's still like, no. Yeah, I actually put, would you still cut a deal for Darby? And Sarah doesn't think that they did the right thing and was kind of questioning that it was only for the high conviction rate and almost regrets it. Even though she loves working for him, she mentions basically how she's given up her whole life. Like, she's not married, she doesn't have kids, and she's like, I'm going to have to accept that some of those things are never going to happen for me. I mean, she seems like she's following directly in his footsteps. Obviously, he does have a family but the same kind of work ethic and yet nick does not seem to learn anything from all that's happened so he makes another deal well i guess he does not take the deal but clyde proposes another deal that they drop all charges against him by 6 a.m or he's gonna kill everyone they don't they're there working all night they leave sometime early in the morning after six and the cars all start blowing up that they were leaving in I mean, Sarah is the main death there, but multiple people die. Six people died. Yeah, just people that were, I guess, involved in his office. Next, you are going to... Sarah's funeral. Well, he Nick goes to meet with the mayor. Mm. It's Viola Davis, which she's not a big part of this movie, but I love her. I think like when she's on screen, she's such like a commanding presence. She very much seems like, you know, she should be playing the mayor, the boss, the president, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. she's always a leader. So this is when she's finally getting involved, the mayor, and the mayor is telling them they need to fix this, figure it out. So Nick goes to meet with Clyde outside of prison. He's obviously angry about Sarah, so he hits Clyde. You know, Clyde's just doesn't care. He still sees that Nick has not learned anything. And then they go to Sarah's funeral. And from Sarah's funeral, they are leaving with protection provided by the mayor. And the turret drone, or I guess they said it's a bomb disposal drone that he fitted with a turret, comes out. It hits the car with an EMP. And I'm not sure if it hit one specific car or it hit them all because they all stopped. Mm -hmm. It hit them all. But somebody's radio goes off right after that. And also one of the cars starts driving again. So yeah. Terrible EMP, I guess. I don't know. It was selective. Yeah. We don't have to get into that plot hole. Yeah, so um, he obviously uses that turret to take out Jonas in the front car. He just riddles it with bullets and then blows it up. You almost think he could have just blown it up. He but... could have just blown it up, but he wanted, Clyde wanted to see Nick, Nick suffer. Yeah, I mean, talk, that's true. Great. I mean, it, it does seem like a lot of things were specifically against Nick. I did wonder through the movie... Had it not ended the way that it did, was Nick going to be killed or was he going to just be left with all this? I don't know, actually. That's a good question because I'm like, would he kill his family? But I don't think he would have ever killed Nick's family, which makes me think, think so. like, I don't think he would have killed Nick because he knows he wanted to teach Nick a lesson. That was the part of their fights. He's like, you're not understanding. Like, you need to be lessons aren't um, learned by just being told. Yeah, he says lessons not learned in blood are often soon forgotten. Yeah, so he's trying to teach him a lesson. I don't think he would have killed him. So after Sarah's funeral, the city is put on lockdown. Uh, Nick becomes the DA after Jonas was killed. Yeah, the funny part about that is the mayor was threatening to fire him. Mm -hmm. And then instead she made him the DA. And I was like, what a power move. Like, <laughs> such a power move. He's like, I'll resign. She's like, no. Yeah. The DA. The fuck you will. Yeah, like exactly, yeah. <laughs> Nick finally finds one of Clyde's properties that is right near the prison. That and was given to him by Chester. Yes, 
uh, they go to investigate that and, you know, they break in. And my initial thought was, what was your plan? They didn't know there was going to be a tunnel there. And any evidence they found there, they wouldn't have been able to use because they broke in. Because they need a subpoena. Yeah. You shouldn't have done that. And I guess you could have got a subpoena. And yeah, the mayor was kind of on your side. And you were in this point where everybody was just like, we'll bend the rules, fuck the law, anything we need to do to bring this guy down. But yeah, I I didn't think... They're not law-abiding citizens. They're not law-abiding citizens. (laughs) So they find the tunnel leading to his prison cell. And also, they realize that he has disguises there, he has bullets, um, explosives, just everything he needs. So he didn't have an accomplice the whole time. He was his own accomplice. Yes, it was him, which there has been theories that there's still an accomplice and that he wasn't doing it himself. I don't think so. I think that was kind of the point. He was doing it himself. He didn't, he was so smart, he didn't need anybody else. Mm -hmm. So when they find the prison tunnel, they get to his cell. He's not there because he's at City Hall with the bomb dressed up as a janitor. They get there, they find the bomb, and they aren't going to defuse it. Instead, they, I guess, let Nick, the lawyer, take a live bomb into a jail and bring it into Clyde's cell. Yeah, and uh, Clyde was utterly shocked that Nick was in the cell. He was. Uh, You know, Gerard Butler did a great job of portraying that, like, he was truly shocked. He was like, oh, they figured it out. Yes. Yeah. And you'd almost think that Clyde would have figured out that the bomb must be there, but I guess he, you know, was too focused on his vengeance, and that's kind of the point. You know, he flew too close to the sun, that kind of thing. He did, but also I feel like at that point he's like, I've outsmarted them for this long, like, laughing, like... Yeah, he became I don't cocky. Think, yeah, I don't think he knew that, like, Clyde thought that Nick was only there to talk to him. He didn't know that he had, like, the secret holes or um, tunnels or anything like that. Ultimately, I didn't, I did not like the ending. It's not that I wanted Clyde to live. It's that I think it's ridiculous that Nick murdered him under the premise that it wasn't me. He murdered himself. Like, no. Yeah. You are a murderer now, Nick. You put a bomb in his cell. You had his tunnel. You could have shut this whole shit down. He would have been out of the game. If he cannot access that tunnel, he can't do anything. Yeah, Nick came overwhelmed with the same vengeance. Yeah, and I I just don't like the ending for that reason. I mean, then they go on after Clyde's death by presumably his own hand in their eyes. They show Nick is at the cello recital, and I don't... I don't get the sense of like, oh, his life has changed. He's learned something. He's a new man. I just think he had a free fucking day because... Everybody was dead. Yeah, everybody was dead and he's the DA now. Mm. So he could go to this damn recital, but I don't think he learned a goddamn thing. And I would be willing to bet that he would still go make deals with murderers. That's awfully heated because I don't think that at all. Well, I'm just... I mean, like I said in the beginning... I think that he learned his lesson. That's why I... Like I said, I love this movie. You know, I gave it a 5 out of 5, but ultimately, these are my problems with it, is that I do not like Nick's ending. I guess Clyde could have been killed in some way, but I don't like that it was Nick bringing the bomb there, and I don't like that they tried to show that Nick is a new man now, because I don't buy it. Oh, I bought it. I bought that he was a new man, and I also bought that... I think that the bomb squad guy came with him and planted it there and they were all like because his his partner the the actual cop yeah was like you know he crowbarred that door shut when Clyde tried to get out mm-hmm. so I think that they were all all decided in on it and at that point the mayor was like he just needs to die and I do think he learned his lesson from Clyde I mean Nick also had a gun he could have shot him and, and made didn't. it painless no I mean, I'm not seeing that as a good thing. I'm saying, Nick, you're a punk. I mean, Nick might be a punk, but if you think about it, I guess he could have shot him and then the bomb would have never gone off because Clyde would have never made the call. But he, in my mind, he was giving Clyde a way out. He was like, you do not need to do this. Like, you can stop this. And Clyde was like, haha, nope, boop. Mm. Like, Clyde made that decision. I don't know. I mean... You don't know anything. The thing about this is. is there were many different endings for this movie, including one where Nick directly kills Clyde by his own hand, but they didn't do it because they were concerned that it would leave Nick seeming like unsympathetic to what Clyde had gone through. 
I agree. I still feel that he seems unsympathetic, but the ending was rewritten many times because of this, so I give credit to the writers. I know this was a hard ending. A lot of people don't like the ending, not necessarily for the same reason as me, but it is something that they struggled with. Another thing, um, you know, before we wrap up this portion that I found interesting that I read was Nick and Clyde were supposed to be played by the other originally. Like, mm. Jamie Foxx was cast as Clyde Shelton. Gerard Butler was cast as Nick Rice. What they made, what made him switch? I believe they, one of them had a conversation with the director and was like, you know, I almost think that this could work better. And then they all agreed and switched I mean, the... I agree that it works better. I can't imagine Jamie Foxx being... I, yeah, I think they both played their roles really well. So I think it ultimately went better. But it does make it interesting for me to imagine what the movie might have looked like had the roles been reversed. Maybe that's your reboot remake. I already have that. What me. if? Welcome back. Well, I mean, they wouldn't know. <laughs> I was just testing the audio. It looked like you were concerned. I mean, I've, I'm not concerned. I've been thinking when I play games, like, should I do... I'd like to play a game. No. Should I do Ghostface, Scream 1? I want to play a game. No. Do you know that the same? there's a guy that does the same voice for Ghostface in every movie? Mm. There's just the one guy, like, doing the voice over, basically. What's your favorite scary movie? All right, well, <laughs> I want to play a game. So, this game is going to be called Cast Combat. That's cast Ooh. with a K. Mortal Kombat style. Combat with a K? Well, yeah. So, just two Ks. Two Ks. Cast cool. Combat. Cool, 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 cool. All Mortal Kombat style. Do I win a prize? No. No. <laughs> so. I don't want to play. We're putting I'm just kidding. characters that Gerard Butler has played up against characters that Jamie Foxx has played. As this movie is... Jamie Foxx versus Gerard Butler. Ultimately, it's them going head and head. I wanted to... I still pick Clyde. Well, they're not part of this. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's different characters from other movies. So what I'm going to have you do is pick a number first, one through six, for Gerard Butler. Three. Okay, so three for Gerard Butler is Mike Banning. He's... From Olympus Has Fallen, uh -huh. he's an army ranger, secret service, that's uh, his... That's that's him. Okay, right. and then pick a number for Jamie Foxx. Uh, so four for Jamie Foxx is Django from Django Unchained. Ooh. He's a bounty hunter, badass. Uh, that's a good That's a good fight, you know? <laughs> so Mike Banning versus Django. Django. Okay, I, I could... I think I could agree with that. I mean... Django's got something to fight for, man. Mike Banning. Yeah. I mean, what does he really... You know, he's fighting for the government. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Django. Pick another number for Gerard Butler. Two. Okay, so that's Stoic. It's the father from How to Train Your Dragon. Ooh, he's He's mean. a Viking. He's mean, yeah. He, he's not always mean. You know, he comes around in the movie. But okay. big old Viking guy. Uh, presumably with a dragon. And now pick a number for Jamie Foxx. Three. <laughs> so three for Jamie Foxx is Ray Charles. <laughs> the Viking. <laughs> oh, we don't need to go any further. The Viking. Ray is, of course, <laughs> blind musician. Yep. So you think Stoic would win against Ray Charles? I, I think so. I think anybody would win against Ray Charles. Now, hold on. I mean, his music can touch a soul. All right? You don't think maybe Stoic would no. be touched in his heart by this music? No. Remember, Stoic lost his wife. He hears a good, you know, romance song, gonna bring him to tears. He's gonna bring old boy to tears <laughs> from killing him. Okay. All right, pick another number for Gerard Butler. Five. Okay, so five is Beowulf from Beowulf and Grendel. He's a Scandinavian hero. He's, you know... I guess he's of peak human performance. Okay. And he's got a sword. And uh, have I done six? For Jamie Foxx? Yeah. No. So I've not seen this movie. So forgive me for those of you listening if you've seen this movie and I'm all wrong about this. Uh, you haven't either. But the character is Bud Jablonski. He's a vampire hunter from the movie Day Shift. So presumably with that comes vampire hunting gear mm -hmm. silver maybe uh stakes i guess depends on what 
set you're going does with. Does Beowulf have a name? It's Beowulf. Other than Beowulf. Like, does he have a first name? No. <laughs> and this guy's name is Bud Jablonski? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going Bud Jablonski. Based on the names alone? Yeah, because I haven't seen either movie. I mean, I'm related to Jablonski's. Joey Jablonski. Joey Jablonski. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to agree because Beowulf is just a monster of a human being and fights giants, dragons. It's a whole thing. Mm, okay. Right, pick another number. One. That's King Leonidas. Oh. <laughs> leader of the Spartans. All right, all right. And then Jamie Foxx. What numbers do I have to choose from for him? Uh, you still have one. Two and five. Two. So two is Drew Bundini Brown. He was a boxer who trained Ali and Sugar Ray Brown. It's Leonidas. <laughs> Let's say Leonidas has to go hand to hand, though. I mean, he is a Spartan, I guess, but this guy trained two of the greatest boxers to ever live. Those who can't do teach. Oh. It's Leonidas. Oh, okay. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so what you number? You know, I'm just kidding. Um... What do I have to pick from? For Gerard Butler, you have four and six. Six. Six is Sam Childers. He's the machine gun preacher, so this is a true story. He is a former biker gang member that allegedly saved a lot of kids in, I, I don't remember what country he was in, but he went on like a rescue mission for them, Aww. which he was part of a badass biker gang and i don't necessarily mean badass as in i'm condoning what they did i mean they're bad like he is one of those guys all right so for jamie fox you have left one and five five <laughs> so number five for jamie fox is joel or, excuse me not joel number five for jamie fox is joe he's the soul from the movie soul disney's movie the biker gang okay machine gun preacher he's an undead musician he died and came back to life uh-huh. so yep. what's he gonna do kill him and then he'll just come back i make my stance he saved a bunch of kids i'm going with joe because i you believe you don't know anything <laughs> you don't know anything you're gonna you're not gonna give do you remember the scene in saved children Saved okay. a bunch of children. Don't get me started on that. There's some controversy as to whether he really did the things he said he did or not. Anyway, <laughs> Joe, if you remember in the scene Soul, or in the movie Soul, there's a scene where they take over bodies of other people. Why wouldn't Joe just take over this guy's body? Because that man doesn't have a soul. He's <laughs> okay. not dead. All you have left is Cable. It's Gerard Butler's character from Gamer. He's an inmate presumably he was a soldier because he's surviving all of this fighting. I mean, he's being controlled by a guy on the outside, but still kind of, you know, bona fide badass. And then Jamie Foxx's last character is Max Dillon, Electro from Spider-Man movies. Okay, but Spider-Man 2, Electro, or... I'm going to go with... Spoiler alert. His most recent appearance. Electro. I mean, I have to go with Electro, too. I know this guy's a soldier, but uh, he shoots sparkles out of his fingers so electricity wins he okay. can electrocute he can electrocute a right. normal human being like he's exactly not super, like it, yeah it'd be dick electro would probably beat all of them i mean he kills somebody in the amazing spider-man 2 just touches them and stops their heart yeah and then he brings them back like it would pretty much be over i didn't have a lot of options for jamie fox that i thought would fit that's why we ended up with an option you did not pick the singing bird and rio <laughs> i would like to point that out i didn't okay. want to pick the singing bird in rio <laughs> i wanted to go with ray charles <laughs> <laughs> Because that's, the, he's going to win in a fight. I stand by his music can move a person. Okay, so on to the last segment is our sequels. So I will let you go first. Mine's a movie. Okay. It's called The Law-Abiding Lawyer. Oh. Or just Law-Abiding Lawyer. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is why I believe Nick learned his lesson. Mm-hmm. Because my sequel depends on it. Okay. Okay, 15 years since Nick and Clyde encountered one another for the first time. Mm -hmm. Which I think it's been like 14 since the movie was released. So it's kind of, you know, with yeah. the times. Okay. 
Nick does his best not to think about it because that whole situation, he lost a lot of his friends, feels responsible for a lot of these deaths, but he tries not to focus on that. Nick's daughter is now a lawyer and is a junior underneath him as the DA. Mm. So he is eventually wanting her to learn the ropes and take his job so he can retire. Because after all of the events, he became more of a family man. Yes, he still works a lot, but family is ultimately more important to him. Because he no longer makes deals with murderers, he decides to take a murderer to trial and he loses. Okay, After he loses, he hears Clyde's voice overhead. Um, say, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove in court. Yeah. That just flashes. Fast forward six months. Okay. Killer strikes again. Mm. Same killer. Nick is on the case. You know, like, <laughs> he's not actually Nick. a lawyer. Detective Nick is on the case, okay? <laughs> the killer, he becomes on the case because the killer leaves a note specifically for Nick at the crime scene. Almost Riddler style, but, like, Riddler kind of gives too much detail and, like, too many jokes. Like, he just leaves, like, I'm thinking, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine type clue. You know what I'm saying? The most recent Riddler or Jim Carrey Riddler? <laughs> or cartoon Riddler? Mm-hmm. Comic Riddler? No, Gotham Riddler. Gotham Riddler. Okay. Yeah. He gives away too much. Yeah. So, if you think about it, he left him a clue. After the first murder, so they know that he's, like, prime suspect, but they don't have, like, any hard evidence. A second murder happens. Mm. Okay? At that point, Nick then hallucinates and, like, sees Clyde. Okay. He sees him. Hold on, and hold on. Are we going to de-age Gerard Butler? Or is he going to come in just the same age? De-age. He's okay. going to de-age back to when, back to the original movie. Okay. I was hoping because he's not quite as jacked as he once was and I just need to I see that. I mean, yeah, he's, for... he's probably, what, is he 60? He's he's a bit older. Yeah, he's like, I mean, so is Jamie Foxx, yeah. but um, yeah, definitely de-aged. And he <laughs> sees Clyde and he's talking to him about what he taught him 15 years ago, like the lesson that he learned, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like you don't make deals with murderers, you need to think one step ahead, that kind of thing. I mean, Nick's no detective, am I right? (laughs) So Nick's daughter, Durder, Nick's daughter, Nick's Durder, Nick's (laughs) (laughs) where are we from? (laughs) I'm leaving it in. (laughs) No, take it out. Nick's daughter is starting to kind of get close to making a break in the case and she recognizes the pattern of the killer Mm -hmm. so he has a pattern of the killer and just as she recognizes it they identify the next victim too late so now three people are dead Mm -hmm. nick is starting to become so frustrated because they know who it is and they've been speaking like he met with him and like they all know who it is, and he's having flashbacks at this point to what happened with Clyde. Like, same thing. They know who it is. They just can't prove it. And he starts, if he's going to contemplate ending this man the way that Clyde did. So Clyde was going to kill all of those people with a bomb, you know? Mm-hmm. So he was just going to murder this guy the way that he had been murdering the other victims. As he gets prepared to do this, he's, like, setting it all up. Clyde appears again. And talked some sense into him and was like, I didn't teach you this lesson for no reason. Like, blah, 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 blah. He eventually gets, like, I don't know if, like, Clyde would tell him this or what, but, like, to look deeper than just the surface. Like, he doesn't see things. Like, he only sees what he wants to see because of how, like, arrogant Nick can be sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So, Nick puts it all together and him and his daughter and just one cop go to the place that this man is planning his next kill. They wait out there for him, and Nick comes out of the shadow, much to this man's surprise. <laughs> oh, I didn't see you. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, they wait out there for him, and I was like, after after um, Nick talks to this guy, he's like, I learned a long time ago not to make deals with murderers. This man thinks that, like, Nick is going to kill him and just tries to escape. But Nick's daughter and multiple cops, they did the silent thing like they did, you know, are outside waiting for him and they make an arrest. The final scene is Nick having dinner with his daughter and his wife at his daughter's new house. Okay. Not too bad. I mean, I honestly, I couldn't imagine a sequel, so that's good. I... I couldn't, it's hard because, like, how do you, like, you can't put Clyde, I mean, I kind of put Clyde in it in a way, like, 
Yeah. Clyde is basically his good cop versus bad cop side, like both of them. But I'm not saying that's a great sequel. I'm just saying. We're not here lawyer. for good sequels. We're here for unnecessary sequels. That is true. That is true. So, mine, I just went ahead and rebooted it because I cannot think of a sequel. I'm going to reboot it as a series oh, instead smart. of a movie. That's smart. Uh, Law Abiding Citizens. Instead of Citizen. Oh, my God. Uh, basically, Clyde and Nick, for me, are not going to be the main characters of this series. Um, a Clyde-like character, I'm not even saying you know it has to be the same exact story. It's the same lesson learned, ultimately. But a Clyde-like character is taking out people that wronged him in a case that he had, as well as people that he feels have wronged others in the justice system. So slowly, I think you would get maybe flashbacks that would reveal whatever happened to this character. But again, he's not the main character. So we're not seeing him get discovered right away or get taken to jail. The main character is going to be a private investigator who is critical of the justice system themselves and has past trauma that caused that and has been hired by a grieving family of one of the victims that suffered by this Clyde character's hand. Mm. Um, I think this could go on a while. You know, you could have multiple different cases that arise because, again, this isn't just about this one guy. I don't want him caught right away. I don't want the lawyer immediately learning these lessons. It's more of a look at the entire justice system. I mean, very much in the way that The Wire did it back in the day and also kind of taking notes from Dexter where we're going to have people that, you know you see have done wrong not to the level of dexter of course and are being killed now by Is this dexter guy wrong well That's no, a question the people for another day <laughs> the people dexter killed are wrong i mean he did he made a mistake and killed one innocent person spoiler no, alert everyone. i just mean the actual murders he's killing they're obviously wrong but you watching this show would have to question whether or not you know did this lawyer that he just killed deserve to die based on what they did I mean, it's the same question that makes it so Clyde's character is not perfect in this movie is I'm not sure all the people he killed deserve to die. Obviously, Darby is one that nobody's really questioning, but people like Sarah, Sarah you almost wonder, you know, has it gone too far? So that's kind of what I'm going for with this. I think future seasons of the show could have the detective finding out who is doing all of these murders and being convinced to join them, and then, you know, going too far, feeling guilty about it, it could really go in a whole loop of this detective questioning the justice system, but also not wanting to go against it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for making it this far. We hope you enjoyed. Maybe even enough to share our show with someone you know. Leave us a review, or simply come back for more next week. If you'd like to vote on whose sequel idea was the best or you have a better idea, come by our Twitter at NansPod. That's N-A-N-S-P-O-D. All right. Be easy, everyone. We'll see you next week. Leaving it in.